Software engineering combines art, science, and philosophy. On the Developer T podcast, Jonathan Cottrell explores how engineers can improve their technical ability as well as their interpersonal skills and mental clarity. On this episode of Software Engineering Daily, I talk to Jonathan about focus, career development, and software podcasting. Developer T is a popular podcast for software developers. Jonathan Cottrell is the host of Developer T. Jonathan, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thank you so much for having me. Developer T is a podcast that focuses on the psychology and the philosophy and the interpersonal skills of a developer. What are the most crucial soft skills that engineers should spend time improving? Uh, I'm going to give you the two heavy hitters, uh, in my opinion. Number one is focus. Focus is essential because it, it is the thing that provides you with the ability to do the work that you do, right? Um, if you can't focus, if you are distracted easily, if you can't stay on a single task for longer than 15 to 20 minutes, you're going to have a very hard time developing anything of any consequence. Uh, so, so focus is, is, I think, number one. And then number two is learning how you, specifically you, learn. Not everyone, but you, right? Uh, everybody learns slightly differently. There are some things that are the same uh, between one person and another. But then there are many things that are really personalized. Um, so I think understanding how you learn, how you can incentivize yourself to learn more or learn better, um, those are the two kind of heavy hitting topics that developer T ends up coming back to in some way or another, almost every episode, quite honestly. Mm. So I want to go into each of those. Uh, the first one focus is really interesting. And I think about that a lot. How do I focus on things? One of my favorite internet writers is a guy named Oren Hoffman, who has, uh, done he started several companies uh, you know made a good amount of money done some venture capital and now he a lot of time he spends writing on quora and one of the things that he talks about a lot is like focus and he talks about it in the context of individuals as well as companies and you know you hear this from a lot of people do one thing really well uh, the way that Oren Hoffman often phrases it is do things in serial not in parallel mm-hmm. um, which I think is interesting because I think as developers, you know, we learn this concept of multi-threading and we're like, oh, okay, so we should try to multi-thread as humans. Do you think that's a mistake? Yes. In every sense of the word, it is a mistake. Um, I'm going to give you kind of a little object lesson here because I think it's worth it's worth doing. And I've done this on my show before, and I think you'll appreciate it and, and your listeners will too. Uh, take out a piece of paper and you don't have to do this right now, Jeff, but <laughs> imagine doing this because it, it'll become abundantly, abundantly clear just thinking about it. Uh, take out a piece of paper and write your name uh, first and then your last name, right? Uh, so for me, uh, Jonathan Cottrell, I write that out. I can write that in two or three seconds, really. It doesn't take long to write my name because I've done it so many times. But that thing that I know so well, if I were to try to write one letter from my first name, then jump down a line and write one letter from my last name, then jump up a line and write another letter from my first name, and go through that process until I finish both my first name and my last name, 
in parallel, it's going to take way longer. I'm talking about on orders of magnitude longer, right? 15, 20 seconds. And if you think about that very simple task, now imagine applying that same concept to a much larger uh, set of tasks. Uh, And what you'll realize is our brains, when we try to multitask, when we try to switch between tasks, uh, the difference between our brains and computers is, you know, it take the the switch time is much much longer. Uh, the time to switch from one task to another, especially if those tasks are very disjointed, right? Uh, it may be easier for me as let's say, for example, I'm a Rails developer, so uh, let's say I'm jumping between a test and a model, right? It may be easier for me to jump between a test and a model because those are highly related, and it's not going to be incredibly difficult to jump between those two files and you know do that work but let's say i'm jumping between a conversation about a different project in an email and then i'm trying to write a test for a different project altogether that's that's not going to work out well right Uh, my brain is just not very efficient at that because our brains weren't meant to do that um humans were not meant to multitask well, and, and when you even when you think about it from the computer point of view, um, it, you know, if any the listeners have taken like a class in operating systems or just read about operating systems, a context switch may be fast in in human time, but if you look into all the details of what happens during an operating system context switch, it's really uh, painful for the mm-hmm. for the computer. Yeah. Um, so even, even in that analogy, it's, it can be rough. Um, so, but speaking personally, uh, continue to talk about focus and we'll, um, we'll get to learning eventually, but speaking about focus, you do several different things. You're the director of engineering at a company uh, or director of technology. I'm not sure what your title is. Either of um, those and, will, will suffice, I'm sure. <laughs> okay, okay. So th- I'm sure that takes a ton of your time. And you also spend a lot of time on developer tea. And I'm sure a lot of the listeners are in a job um, where maybe, you know, it's not their dream job, so they spend a lot of their spare time on a personal project. Um, so, you know, how should people think about splitting their time between occupations that, uh, you know, are full-time jobs and uh, side projects that they're really passionate about, but they can't devote all of their time to? You know, it it totally depends on the person and the project, of course, and and that's kind of the predictable answer. Uh, It it totally depends on the person and the project. I absolutely believe that side projects are completely possible for people who are working 40 and 50-hour-a-week jobs. Uh, and I know that to be the case because I do that, right? Like I, I've been able to accomplish that. However, I also don't have children yet. Um, I also, you know, I, I'm not pressed for time in my off time doing other things. Uh, my responsibilities are relatively limited. And, you know, for example, I work day in and day out. My wife and I, we work at the same office. So we get to have lunch together on a very regular basis, which means that, you know, we can still have a, a relatively good relationship with a very fast dinner every single night, which gives me more time to work on the podcast. So you have to be able to look at your situation and evaluate whether or not, you know, your commitments to these different things 
are actually feasible. So that's step one. Kind of take a lay of the land and see what you have available to you. There is a limited amount of time. Time is an expendable resource, and we all have the same amount. So uh, if you're in a situation like I am, and you have you know similar drive and similar talent to what I have, you can do similar things. There's no, there's nothing really particularly stopping you. So we've talked about focus. I'd like to talk about uh, learning to learn and teach yourself stuff, which is the other soft skill that you emphasized. How can engineers learn to learn more effectively? Well, it starts by looking at uh, empirical research, and this is something that I'm I'm a big proponent of. I think you know we we try to read opinions and read into opinions far too often when we're looking at you know how should we work right. Um, uh, so we very often will look at blogs and we'll read uh, a thousand words worth of you know here's how our agency is doing this thing. Um, but very few times do we take a step back and say, okay, here's kind of the uh, the fundamental underlying concepts that apply to everyone, not just developers, right? Um, so if you take a step back and start looking at psychology and start looking at you know the way the human brain works, and then take that knowledge and apply it to your field, you don't have to be a developer to benefit from this knowledge. Uh, developers are um, particularly in a category of people who benefit from this because our field moves so quickly that learning is kind of a fundamental skill, right? Not every field is that way. Um, if you, for example, let's say that you are a star athlete, you may be learning constantly, but most of what you are doing is training, right? This is a very different concept from expanding your mental knowledge, expanding your library, for example. Uh, you're not going to be doing a lot of vocabulary expansion as an athlete. And that's they're just two different skill sets, right? So if you, if you understand the way that the brain learns information, uh, then you can start recognizing these patterns that you have a tendency to follow. And I say you because everyone has different tendencies and different patterns that their brain kind of goes down, right? Um, mm. some, there are some, like I said previously, there are some uh, uniform things with the human brain. For example, we know that practice is uh, the thing that makes perfect. But repetition, like rereading the same books over and over and over and over, uh, empirical research says that that's not really valuable. So if you're a developer and you're looking to learn a new language, you're going to be way better off if you actually start coding, even if it's very crude, even if it's if it's mostly error prone, you're going to learn more by coding than you will by reading the spec over and over and over and over, trying to hammer that stuff into your brain. Hmm. Yeah, and the other the other thing that I often hear about the 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 psych the psychological hurdle that I hear the most about. Uh, I would say is in engineering circles is this idea of imposter syndrome. And I think the two things that you outlined focus and learning how you personally learn are actually the cures for imposter syndrome because yeah. impost imposter syndrome is often only overcome 
by uh, actualizing the the things that you see as as what would be truly fulfilling the role that you currently feel an imposter as. So if you want to see yourself overcome imposter syndrome as a developer, you need to see yourself turn into a developer, which means mm-hmm. learning in the correct way, focusing on the correct tasks, and actually executing what a developer would do so that tautologically you become a developer. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it sounds like a tautology, but... but Conversely, that's actually why so many people have trouble overcoming it because they can't break through the the part where you have to say to yourself, this feels really uncomfortable at first because I don't feel like I'm well equipped to actually um, execute on these tasks. Uh, but then once you do, you actually feel like a developer and then it becomes a virtuous cycle instead of a vicious cycle. Mm, so, yeah. Um, you know, given that you've thought a lot about these philosophical ideas, I'm sure you've, I didn't look at the backlog, but I'm, I'm sure you've backlog for these particular topics, but, uh, I'm, I'm sure you've done some stuff about imposter syndrome. Do you have any words about that particular topic? Absolutely. I do. I actually have an episode that is specifically about imposter syndrome, Although I've done enough episodes at this point, and you know how this feels probably. I don't remember everything that I said in that episode. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I do know this. I know that uh, this particular industry has a lot of imposters, or not imposters, I'm sorry, people who feel like imposters. um, Because this is, uh, there are way more people in this industry who are self-taught than in most other industries, right? So let's let's kind of walk that out. How many people who are developers that you know, if you're listening to this podcast, think about the other developers that you know, what percentage of those people are self-taught? A very high percentage for me personally. And I've seen a lot of people in this industry, and they are self-taught, or they, they come to the industry with maybe a little bit of knowledge, but a large amount of their knowledge that they use day-to-day is self-taught, right? And that's different. That is actually quite different from other industries where there is a lot of you know, industry-level training that happens. There's a lot of you know, uh, kind of established ladder climbing that occurs. So when you actually receive a promotion – it's something that you know you deserve, right? Or when you receive a job, quite quite typically uh, in many other industries, it's because you followed the kind of tr- well-tread path on the road to that job. For developers, there is no such thing as a well-tread path. People come from all over the spectrum of previous job experience and end up becoming developers because software is eating the world, Right. That software is applicable to every other industry to some extent. So you can you can see software at play everywhere. And so a lot of people come from other industries because they see the opportunity and they decide that they want to change their careers. Now, when you do that, when you decide to be self-taught as a developer, then you are kind of making a deal with yourself that, uh, that you're not going to go and get that formal, well-tread path to, to follow down for the rest of your career. Instead, you're going kind of a more difficult path that you are finding for yourself. Now, this isn't true for every developer. Some developers do have formal experience. 
some developers do have a more uh, clear linear path in front of them, but for the large part, a lot of developers are self-taught. And so that breeds this idea of, I don't know where I stand, right? Because, and, and this is where this is all going back to, the way that we validated our knowledge when we were younger, uh, for most people who are listening to this podcast, the way that your knowledge was validated was a grade. In a class, you knew where you stood, right? Because you could look at a number grade and say, or a letter grade, and say, well, I either succeeded or I failed. However, when you move past formal training, when you move past grade school and past college and maybe even past post-grad, you get into a situation where you don't have a grade. And the only thing that can validate what you are doing is other people, yourself, and money. <laughs> that's, that's the three <laughs> metrics that we use. And when we are not validating ourselves, especially when we're young developers and we aren't getting a lot of validation from other people and we don't have a job, well, who's to say? Am I a developer or am I not? The evidence mm-hmm. is difficult to find, right? Mm-hmm. I don't have a grade. I don't have anybody telling me you're on the right path. And there's not a well-tread path in front of me. So it makes right. sense that there's a lot of people who have imposter syndrome and are, are working through the process of becoming a software developer. Yeah, so the surface area of uh, of what defines a, a developer, there's, there's, uh, it, it takes up so much space. You know, if you see somebody else on, on that surface area who has been validated as a developer and you find yourself on somewhere else on that surface area, it's, it can be hard to figure out if you are adequate as them because mm-hmm. you're, it's like, it's like a totally orthogonal comparison. Exactly. Okay. Interesting. I want to talk about uh, Developer T more. Um, when you started Developer T, were you listening to other software podcasts at the time? Uh, this is the the uh, ultimate kind of uh, confession moment for a podcaster is when they have to say that they don't listen to a lot of podcasts. Um, <laughs> no, I, I actually do listen to quite a few podcasts, especially at that time. Um, the time that I used to listen to podcasts, now I use typically making my own podcast. Um, but no, I, I listen to uh, probably four or five podcasts relatively regularly. Hmm. So when you started Developer T, what were the software podcasts, or I guess just the podcasts that you were listening to that influenced um, it, what you did with developer T either in terms of you wanted to emulate the things that, that you liked about it, or you wanted to fill gaps that you felt were not being filled. Sure. Um, I, so anybody who has started a podcast in the last year has either knowingly or unknowingly be been in, uh, impacted by serial, <laughs> whether or not, you know, it. Uh, that, that has had such a wide impact on the podcasting world. A lot of people have come to podcasts, because of that. And so I think there has been a a lot of kind of a resurgence of interest in the audio format because of Serial. So um, I'm really thankful that they came out with that show because I think it kind of laid the groundwork for a lot of, uh, a lot of new content to be, uh, to rise to the top. 
Um, there, I, I listen to Shop Talk. Uh, I'm a web developer, and Shop Talk falls right in line with that. Uh, and Ruby Rogues, those were the two ones that I was really following heavily. Uh, Charles Maxwood, who you uh, you interviewed, Jeff, um, he is responsible for Ruby Rogues, and uh, Chris Coyer and David Rupert are on uh, are on Shop Talk. So I, I followed those very closely, but the reality for me was that a lot of these shows go for such a long period. They're so long. Mm. Um, and in fact, some of the ones I was getting into, I was getting into like pr- productivity podcasts. Um, I got interested in uh, Mac Power users and a few others. And there were episodes that would go three, four hours long. <laughs> I'm just, you know, as a, as a developer with a full-time job who, you know, has other interests outside of listening to podcasts, that's a lot to invest in, in a show weekly. And quite honestly, uh, for me, and this is not a knock against those people, but when I listen to a podcast, I typically want something a little bit more than just entertainment value, right? And a large percentage of a three-and-a-half-hour show is entertainment value. And so I started Developer T with the concept of, you know, what is the most concentrated thought or concentrated um, discussion starter that I can have about software development that would fit inside of about a coffee break? Now, you heard me say coffee. The reason it's not called coffee, developer coffee or whatever, is because, quite honestly, if you go and search for coffee on iTunes, there are way more coffee podcasts than I wanted to compete with. So, ah. uh, so I went with developer T and, um, you know, the, the tea break concept, it, it's, uh, I, I think your attention can fit inside of a tea break. I think there is enough time there in a 10 to 15 minutes to start a good conversation, but you don't have to drag on about that. And you really don't have to get a lot of opinions, you know, poured into that episode for it to be valuable. Mm, that makes a lot of sense. When you listen to those episodes, so I, so I feel I, I agree with a lot of what you said. Um, but like, let's take Ruby Rogues for example. I mm. think I think Ruby Rogues, you know, by and large, in the Dev Chat TV shows, most of the conversation that they have is pretty dense with like with quality with stuff that you can take away totally um there are gaps in the conversation where they're like so you should see star wars the other day and it's like (laughs) you know i don't go ahead and i I was just gonna say i was like that's not why i listen to a software podcast and i mean i'm sure there are people that totally appreciate that and that's and that's fine especially because it's like a uh you know, it's like a weekly show and whatever, and you can you can listen you can listen to every Ruby Rogues show um, without you know even if you allocate just twenty minutes a day to it or something. Um, but uh, with the regularity of develop of developer T, you know, you have you have it three times a week. That's that adds up to an hour. Um, you know, I, I can totally understand why you would want it in in twenty minute chunks. Um, but let's see. So I mean. When you were when you were listening to like Ruby Rogues, like I said, for example, if you listened to just twenty minutes of an episode or thirty minutes of an episode, was that is that like a frustrating experience for you? Because like for example, I you know I do this show five days a week for an hour, and 
um, I know there are some listeners who they cannot keep up with the content and it's like anxiety inducing for them because mm-hmm. they like, they'll like listen to an episode and it's like 30 minutes and it's like a new episode comes out and they're like, well, you know, and they want to keep up with every episode and then they can't. So they just like drop off entirely. Um, did you, did you have that experience? I did to some extent. So, uh, yeah. So I'm trying to remember kind of my feeling at the time because it's slightly shifted because now that I am a podcaster, I have a little bit more understanding for how this content actually gets created. Right. So, um, if, if you are listening to this, by the way, and you really love podcasts, I would say try making one. Like I, I know that sounds really kind of reductive to to the uh, to the making process, but once you make a podcast, um, you really start enjoying and understanding the nuances of the craft a little bit more. It's like becoming a, mu- a musician. Uh, after already loving music and suddenly realizing there's a whole new world of music to love if you are a musician, right? Um, But with that said, I I think part of my frustration at the time was that I didn't feel like, you know, I got the whole production, right? You can watch, you know, 20 or 30 minutes of a movie and get the gist of the story. And in fact, if you were to cut out some of the middle scenes or cut out like, you know, or speed it up, you could get the gist of the story, but, uh, you aren't going to get the same experience as somebody who watches the full hour and a half. Right. Um, the same is true for reading most business books. Uh, I don't like the fact that a lot of business books end up being 340 pages long, <laughs> um, because quite honestly, you know, the, the argument that they are making typically can be made in about 150 pages, right? Uh, But, you know, people don't want to publish that because it seems like it's not worth the money or whatever. And ultimately, they publish a book that's longer than it needs to be. And so I find myself frustrated because I get through about, you know, two-thirds of the book and I'm like, man, they're just saying the same thing over and over. I want to finish this and I want to see if there's any other punchlines that, you know, I'm missing, but... I I don't want to do it at the expense of just uh, of being disappointed in the end. Right. And so, you know, Ruby Rogues is a great example of a podcast that is totally packed with information. And I recommend if you've never listened to an episode of, uh, of the stuff on devchat.tv, go and listen to it because I mean, the people they have on their shows are incredibly intelligent. They have a lot of really interesting experiences. The same is true for, for shop talk. Uh, and so those are worth listening to, but I found myself frustrated because the times that I would want to listen to a podcast would be either like at the gym or, you know, on a commute and I have a very short commute. And so I knew that there are other people who experience that same feeling. I have a short commute. I have about 10 minutes to listen to something. I don't want to just sit in silence, right? I don't want to just sit in silence. Mm. And I want to learn something. I want to use this time wisely and enrich my career or, you know, become inspired for 10 minutes. And I'm not really in the mood for, in the mood for music. Uh, I'm, right. I'm ready to engage something in my, you know, in my professional sphere. So how do I do that? Right. 
So the other the other benefit I can see of this 10 to 20 minute short podcast format that developer T has where you take a topic, you know, for, for people who haven't listened, you take a topic like, you know, like we mentioned earlier, like focus, and you're just like, okay, I'm going to talk for 20 minutes about focus. And it's this, uh, you know, for, for people who I should have mentioned this earlier, for people who, who haven't heard the show, it's kind of uh, the, the general format is kind of like a monologue or like a lecture or um, like a class, like a book on tape type of class. And it's just 10 to 20 minutes. Um, and I can imagine that there are certain times where you've got a lot more to say than fits into 10 to 20 minutes. But I imagine that 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 uh, imposition of constraint, the 10 to 20 minute shortness leads to an improvement in content. Is that the case? I would say it definitely does. You know, I actually just did an episode about cognitive biases. And I don't know if you're, I'm sure you're familiar with the term, but. I listened to it this morning. Awesome. Well, what'd you think? It was great. <laughs> there we go. There's a great review. I'll put that on. Totally, 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 totally accurate. <laughs> oh, so the thing about cognitive biases is that there's a ton of them and it's really hard to choose uh, two out of this like super great list of 40 or 50. Um, and and I, I really could talk about all 50 of them. I could sit down and talk about every single one and how it applies to software development. But I have to choose, you know, there's an art form and there's a business to this. I have to choose the ones that kind of have a emotional evocation for me. But I also have to choose the ones that make the most sense to to the target user base who is actually listening to the podcast. Um, because now, you know, I've, I've done this long enough now. Developer T is a, is it's a business, right? We have uh, we have sponsors. We have a lot of people who um, are really interested in the show. And if we go way off in left field, just because I feel like talking about something, you know, that's not going to fly. Right. If I break the format, then, you know, we could experiment with that. I don't know if it's going to lose a lot of people or maybe gain a lot of people. Um, But ultimately we can't suddenly make a huge shift with the show uh, without planning that very carefully. So, Yes, it, it definitely helps to have that constraint. And I think that it's, you know, uh, who was it, Jack White that said that sometimes he plays with only uh, three strings on his guitar or four strings on his mm. guitar uh, because it forces him to to think differently about what is possible and use to the fullest extent those four strings rather than being limited by what is possible, pushing what is possible to its limit. Mm. Yeah, a more con- more contemporary example, um, Calvin Harris, the the electronic musician. He talks sometimes about you know like almost all of his songs are no no. I'm sorry, this was Brian Wilson. Um, I think Brian Wilson talked about uh, you know writing all of his songs in C, and it's oh, just wow. like he's like he's <laughs> like I, or it's or it's either C or G, um, or I mean A minor, but that's basically the same as C. Um, and he would just say, you know, yeah, it's just like, I'm just, you know, I'm just doing this as a constraint because there's so much exploration space, even in that constrained, uh, key of C. Um, mm-hmm. I think that was Brian Wilson. Maybe I'm misquoting him. Maybe I made that up. Um, <laughs> but in any way, in any case, it's, it's, it's true in my own experience. I'm, I'm a musician and I write all, almost all of my music is in C and I, I am, I have no shame about that. Sure. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, 
Um, I'm curious about your listener feedback. What are the topics, and this is obviously partly me poaching, but what are the topics that (laughs) listeners have have appreciated the most? What are the things that they like hearing the most about? What kind of feedback have they given um, or anecdotes have they given about what they've liked about the show? So the number one episode, I just pulled it up while you were asking the question. Uh, The number one episode as of now, uh, was released in July, uh, on July 10th of 2015. It's called Daily Routines and Controlling Impulsive Behaviors. And I, I think part of the reason why this is a popular episode is because it is kind of one of those universal topics that not only developers, but you know, a developer's friend may appreciate. And so uh, it makes sense that it would have gotten shared. Um, but then the next one is... I mean, it's only, it's less than a hundred listens fewer, uh, was four tips for creating a great developer resume. And so those are kind of like polar opposites in term of, in terms of, uh, applicability. So, you know, it's really difficult to determine what specific type of content is, uh, really resounding. Um, but I have found kind of a common thread that people tend to respond well to, uh, things pertaining to habits, um, pertaining to, uh, daily routine, which obviously, you know, the first episode that I mentioned was, it has the words daily routine in it, but, uh, this, this, uh, refining of your behavior, um, and, and figuring out ways of learning in strange situations in constrained situations. Uh, one of my favorite episodes was, you know, how to learn when you're traveling. Um, if you are a Nomad, for example, uh, if you're traveling constantly, how do you how do you implement a learning pattern? Um, you know, there's there's other things related to hiring and uh, job searching. That's mm. that's a very common topic because again, you know, that not well tread path is what lays out in front of a lot of these you know self taught or boot camp developers. And, you know, there's a lot of questions around, you know, what is the right way to approach trying to get a job? Um, mm-hmm. How do I make myself approachable? There's, there's so many questions that come in about that. And, you know, ultimately that content, it's difficult to say the right thing for everyone, but that content has tended to be really popular with people. Mm. I, with that in mind, how how should developers think about allocating their time to <laughs> developing soft skills or learning about soft skills versus the time that they spend reading technical documentation or learning a particular programming language? Or should should they find a way to learn about these meta topics like behavioral stuff or habits? Is, should they find a, a you know, a way to, to learn about this stuff that is not so, um, I don't know, cognitively, uh, overbear. I mean, this is, I think this is, this gets it part of why developer T is, is so popular is that, you know, you can listen to it at a time where, you know, you're cognitively drained and still take a lot away from it, which is probably not the case with my podcast. Like <laughs> software engineering daily is pretty, a lot of the episodes are like pretty technical and you can't really listen to it in a in a like relaxed, non-alert state. Sure. Um, so, so but I'm sorry, but getting back to the question, when how should developers approach 
how to learn soft skills versus allocating time towards learning the hard skills? Well, the hard skills don't matter without the soft skills. Mm. Um, so that's, that's a takeaway, I guess. Uh, if you take nothing else away from what I'm getting ready to say about that, just remember that soft skills are the minimum viable thing for you to have a job. You have to be able to interact with people and you have to be able to seek and get hired for a job. Um, that's for 99% of developers. I mean, the, the math is fuzzy, but <laughs> about 99% of developers are working in a job that requires some level of soft skills. There are some developers who work in academia and uh, you know they have grants and they don't have to interact with people as much as others. Uh, some developers find jobs purely on their uh, mental capabilities, purely on their, maybe their IQ is the best way, <laughs> the best way of putting that. Um, very uncommon, right? Uh, those are the people who are, who are deep in Google's folds, right? That we don't really see much of because uh, they are very busy writing compilers. Um, but for the average developer who isn't writing, writing compilers, who is mostly, you know, putting together applications and, working with users and building products, that's, you know, that's the large majority of developers. And I would say to even do that well, you have to have a pretty decent knowledge of the way that humans work. Um, if you're building a product, for example, and you're involved at all with the user interface, you need to be able to see when there is a piece of that interface that is going to be difficult to use. That is how you become valuable to your employer. It's how you become valuable to your user. It's how you become a good developer because mm -hmm. you understand the way the human mind works. If you're just in this to connect code together, then ultimately you're going to find yourself out of a job because you'll be replaced by somebody who does that slightly more efficient than you. Right. Um, if you're only doing the computational aspects of development, then your unique value that you bring to the table for your employer immediately goes away when somebody is willing to do uh, what you do faster or for less money, right? Um, because it, it's just mathematical at that point. The soft skills are not mathematical, right? Or mathematic. I don't know what the right term is there, but uh, <laughs> the soft skills... Those are the things that provide an indeterminate amount of value, potentially much more than your hard skills provide. Mm. The ability to sell, the ability to lead a meeting, the ability to respond well in an email. These are all things that are difficult to teach, more difficult to teach, presumably, uh, than some coding concepts. So mm. uh, I think it is totally worthwhile. And in fact, the, the data shows that most uh, hires and most raises occur as a result of personal relationships. So uh, developing soft skills, particularly around how you interact with people, that is an incredibly important part of your job that so many developers, unfortunately, they kind of gloss over that. You know, one of the soft skills that uh, I really like to think about is leadership, because I feel like leadership is unique in that in order to have effective leadership skills, 
you essentially have to work on every other soft skill, mm. which is yeah. which is kind of unique. Um, do you and as a director of engineering, I'm sure you're thinking about this all the time since your role is a leadership role. What are some uh, you know um, what are some reasons why every developer, whether they're low on the totem pole like an intern, or, you know, obviously high up or even just looking for a job. Why is leadership important and what lessons do you have about leadership? Man, I could, I could go on for an entire episode about this probably. Um, so it's important for everyone because um, to keep a job may not be the most difficult thing in the world, right? Um, it, once you get a job, it's not the hardest thing in the world to keep that job. What is difficult is convincing your employer that you, out of all the people who you are next to, that you are suitable for a raise. And we'll, we'll make it as simple as that, right? How do you convince your employer that you're suitable for a raise? You could work a little bit longer, but that's not sustainable, right? If you put in 45 hours a week when your employer is only paying you for 40, eventually, emotionally, that's going to be frustrating enough for you that you're going to stop. And then your employer may look back at that decision and determine, wow, I shouldn't have given that person a raise. This is bad math, right? You don't want to do that. Uh, And no employer wants you to do that. Instead, uh, what you're trying to do as a Uh, as a leader, and really everyone can develop leadership skills no matter what their position is. As an intern, you should be looking at leadership skills as a goal for yourself. And I'll I'll expound a little bit as we go along. But um, when you are looking at your boss and you're saying, look, here's my skill set, right? Here are the languages I can write. Here are uh, the things I can do in a certain amount of time. Right, the, the logistics parts. Uh, none of that is going to move your boss. None of it is going to make him take a second look at you and say, wow, you know what? He really can write Python. Good for him or good for her, right? That's not, that's not particularly impressive. Uh, what is impressive is when your boss expects you to react emotionally because a client is coming down hard on you and instead, you react composed. This is the, the mind-blowing moment for your boss, is when you choose to kind of rise to the occasion, when you choose to do the thing that is hard, right? That is so much of what leadership is about, is when you choose to take responsibility, do the difficult things that are not necessarily your first reaction, but require a little bit more uh, gumption, require a little bit more soul searching, if you want to call it that, a deeper commitment to your job. That is how you impress your boss, right? Mm-hmm. That is how you get to the level of saying, you know what? I am a lead developer because I know how to deal with clients. I know how to deal with frustrated people. I know how to right. you know, drive learning in this environment of you know people who are relatively ready to go home at five o'clock. I know how to inspire people to read until five thirty. There, there are right. things like that, that, that are not easy to acquire just by reading a manual. 
Right. And the other thing that I think is is uh, is worth focusing on leadership, it, well, I guess there's two things. One thing is that it's always going to be scarce. There is always going to be a scarcity of leadership. There's always going to be a dearth of leadership. Uh, it's always going to be a high-paying job uh, to be, like, the, the closer you, the, the more you have to invoke leadership, um, the, the, the more you're going to get paid. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, in some respects, the easier your job will be because it will be more about delegation and, uh, and acting on uh, intuition and things that you have developed rather than having to go consult a manual for three hours in order to implement the deliverable that you've promised. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly the former is more pleasurable than the latter, but um, you know maybe the process of developing the skills necessary to be in, in a position to, to be asked to do, to do the former or to, to execute on the former, um, that may take longer, may take a little more focus. But um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the other thing is that um, what I like about leadership is that uh, as a skill, it's more, it's, it's a little more subjective. You know, if you're, if you're a Ruby on rails, if you want to be a Ruby on rails developer, if you want to be the best Ruby on rails developer, um, that's, you know, that's a, a market that's easier to benchmark. It's easier to, you know, coming back to, to what you said earlier, but it's easier to be graded on. Um, and if you consider, if, if you're a unique, um, if you're a unique person who has a unique, um, buffet of of experiences and skills that you've developed over time then it's hard to market yourself as the best at any one thing because chances are while you were split up across those different um, learning those different skill sets you weren't focused on learning ruby on rails so you may not be the best at ruby on rails but leadership is something that you can accumulate in all of these different verticals so uh, so perhaps you know if you've done a bunch of different things, but you've been a leader uh, in in all of them, or you've accumulated leadership skills in all of them, you might be qualified to be a leader of an engineering team, even if you're the least qualified engineer in the room. Absolutely. I, so I, I couldn't I couldn't agree more with that, Jeff, because uh, the reality is leadership goes far beyond uh, understanding syntax or understanding. You know how do how do I find how uh, understanding how to Google for the right Stack Overflow thing, right? Leadership is about decision making. For example, uh, I mean we can't distill all of what leadership is about in this one episode. So uh, be sure to come <laughs> back to Jeff's uh, podcast for more information about this and for developer team. But leadership is uh, is less about you know the specifics and much more about uh, leverage, right? Being able to take the people who know how to do those specific things, empower them to do the best job that they can. You know, probably the biggest misconception about leadership is that you are somehow kind of looking over a bunch of people. And I'm moving my hands in front of my face right now because <laughs> I'm trying. To, I can't explain this perfectly, but uh, that you're that they are all kind of pieces on a on a board, and that's not <laughs> at all what it is. Uh, as a leader, what you are is a as efficient as possible. You are a generator of power for those people, right? They plug into you, and when things get difficult, they draw power from you, right? Uh, you give them the things they need to do their job the best. That is what uh, defines leadership 
at its essential state, right? Mm-hmm. When they can't make a decision, you can. When they don't have the right gear, you find the money and you get them the right gear, right? There's so many different things that go into leadership at an organizational level, but uh, the most important thing to walk away with from, from this episode is don't look at leadership as kind of the overlord position, putting people you know, on the board in the right place. You are the source of energy and power for those people. Yeah. So yeah, and, and so I want to shift to talking about a slightly different topic, but one one last bit on the the leadership thing. An interesting thing I heard about Mark Zuckerberg, who you know maybe the uh, technology leader du jour right now. Um, I've heard that his ratio of questions to to answers or statements is extremely high. So he has kind of the Socratic method of being a leader, which is interesting. You know, if you think of a leader as this person who's delegating or giving orders, like you were, like you alluded to, um, that's not Mark Zuckerberg. Mark Zuckerberg is asking questions throughout the meetings and, and helping people find their own answers. Mm, yeah. Um, so, so anyway, to, to, to begin to, to draw to a close, our, our time is, uh, is drawing to a close. Um, I would like to talk a little bit about the kind of the the future of of podcasting and software podcasting as you as you see it. Um, so, I mean, what what are your plans for for Developer T, and and how do you see uh, software podcasting evolving in the near future? Well, I think video is incredibly important, and I don't think it's going to stop being important. Um, and so I have a difficult time staying away from video. Right now, the reason why I haven't uh, kind of dove into video full, full force is because it takes so much more energy to produce that kind of content. And so if I ever do move to video, it's probably going to cut my output, I would imagine, at least in half, unless I devote a lot more energy to it. Um, but I do think that that the future of software development podcasting looks in many ways like the past, right? Um, but I do think that the future is, uh, is about shifting education, the landscape of education as it stands today, where a large amount of education is you know, currently in the hands of large institutions. I think that moves more to the hands of uh, the practical uh, the the applied learning, right? I think that's going to continue happening. Education is going to move more and more towards formats like podcasting, not solely podcasting, but you know, uh, YouTube, for example, obviously has a ton of educational content available for free right now. You can go and build like 500 different careers for yourself on YouTube. It's totally possible to do that. Uh, I think the biggest barrier between here and there is that we don't have a lot of tracks, right? The, those laid out, here is the plan to follow in order to get there, number one. Number two, we don't have a lot of people who are validating that kind of education. Uh, so education via podcasts, that's just, you know, that's just for me, right? Like if you do that, if you pick up podcasts for the sake of education, nobody else cares about that specifically, but you, right? Uh, maybe maybe it's going to help you in your job, or maybe it's not. But it's not accredited. There, you don't get a piece of paper saying, "Hey, congratulations, you've listened to 500 episodes of Developer T." Uh, 
there's not even 500 episodes of my show yet, but um, you don't get anything special for doing that. Whereas paying and going to a school, you still get a degree from that. So uh, I do think that the future of education is highly dependent on a lot of these different uh, media types that have become more popular once again uh, in, in the year of 2015 and going into 2016. Uh, the future for developer T right now looks, again, very similar to the last year of developer T. Uh, I would love to grow our audience. I would love to find a way to reach those, uh, those people who haven't seen the show or haven't heard the show, rather, um, uh, up until now. Of course, developer T is a part of spec, so uh, the future of developer T is... Uh, the growth of spec. So we are looking for other podcasts to join the network, of course, and uh, a lot of things go along with that. Um, but ultimately, you know, education doesn't go anywhere. It, it is the fundamental key to empowering people to do better work in their day-to-day lives. Um, what What is spec? Could you talk more about that? Absolutely. Yeah. I guess we haven't really talked about spec at all. Um, Spec is actually a, a network of podcasts. And the reason, we, the reason why it hasn't really come up is because it's very transparent. There's not a lot of organization that happens as a result of Spec. It really is just a network of podcasts. I joined up with the guys from Design Details, which is on the opposite side of the spectrum. If you look at the spectrum between development and design, Design Details is all about design. Um, they launched literally on the same day that I launched in 2015, January 5th, actually 2015, we both launched our first episodes and we kind of grew at a similar rate and we saw an opportunity to kind of team up. And so that's what we did. (laughs) What what are the advantages of teaming up? Uh, there's quite a few. Um, we were talking about context switching earlier. You know, if I can focus a hundred percent of my energy on creating content rather than editing that content, for example, then I can do more creation work than, uh, than I can do the equivalent of creation and editing, right? So we have a dedicated person to editing. Um, she is also working, uh, her name is Sarah. Sarah is working uh, both as the editor for Developer T and she sources all of our uh, sponsorships. She is very much, uh, she's basically support for all of the shows. Um, We have the opportunity to kind of create a more organized structure with multiple opinions at the kind of in the, in the leader room, I guess you could call it, uh, where we all kind of pass around ideas about what we think the new site should do. Um, We also have the opportunity of sharing our, our audiences. For example, I can cross promote for, uh, design details and design details can talk about developer T without any conflicts of interest. And that's super helpful uh, mm. to kind of grow, to grow our respective audiences as well. Very interesting. So it's kind of like the conglomerate style, um, economies of scale. Uh, interesting. Economies um, of very small scale. <laughs> right. We have, uh, I believe it's five podcast. We are, we're in the process of signing a few more podcasts to the, to the network. Uh, so I'm not sure mm. exactly where we are right now when this episode comes out. Um, but it is, it is a, we intentionally called it spec because we are small. <laughs> um, yeah. It's both specification, but also because we are kind of the little guy on the scene right now. What about, community um you know 
every podcast these days, particularly software podcast, well, I guess software podcast exclusively maybe, um, has a Slack channel. And they all start a Slack channel and, you know, you have these little sub-communities formed within the Slack channel or within, you know, people that are chatting over Twitter. Um, how do you see these communities developing over time, these communities that are verticalized within a podcast? Um, we have an incredible Slack channel. First of all, uh, so uh, obviously I'm promoting the show right now. So uh, a little alert there for those of you who are listening. But <laughs> no, I mean, I think the, the truth is that um, Slack communities are relatively disposable. And I know that sounds dismissive, but it doesn't cost me anything to join this, right? So uh, why wouldn't I join this Slack community? Why wouldn't I go and see who's in there, right? If, if I listen to your show, Jeff, and I'm really interested in your personality, quite honestly, I just want to say hello, right? Um, it totally makes sense for me to jump into your Slack, say hi, and then if I never want to be there again, I don't have to be. Mm. So there's no, there's no real commitment on the part of the people who are joining except that, and this is the important part, Except that once they get involved with discussion, they realize that they can contribute. And in many ways, this is a big leap, and hopefully I'm the first to say it. I don't know if I am, but hopefully I am. Uh, in many ways, Slack could be the stage, or things like Slack. It doesn't have to be Slack. Uh, but these communities where people are chatting, there's, there's one, I think it's called Gitter. Is that right? Yeah. Gitter? Yeah, yeah, yeah. These communities very well could be the future of open source because messaging is the future of application development or really it's the present, right? Messaging applications are massively important because they're really kind of fundamental to how we interact with people through technology. And these different communities very well could be the future of open source as much or even more than GitHub ever was. Mm, that's a great point. I had not thought about that. I mean, the, the, um, yeah, like GitHub feels like a, like a forum, like an old forum, yeah, yeah. Like old, old school forum, exactly. not, you know, no, no, no knocks against GitHub. I love GitHub, but, uh, but, um, yeah, anyway. Okay, cool. Well, you know, we're, we're, we're obviously, you know, running up against time. Um, one, okay. Well, one interesting thing I'll say about, uh, Gitter versus, um, Slack, um, Quincy Larson of Free Code Camp came on the show and he runs, you know, Free Code Camp is this like giant um, online code school that's free. Um, and he mentioned that they, you know, they had, they had so many users on the Slack channel that they basically broke Slack. So they had to switch yeah. to Gitter because yeah. they hit a max. Um, interesting. Anyway, okay, well, Jonathan Cottrell, uh, thanks for coming on Software Engineering Daily. Uh, it's super interesting talking to you. The time flew by. Uh, huge fan of Developer T, obviously. Everybody go check out Developer T. Subscribe to it on iTunes. Um, and uh, yeah, thanks thanks for coming on the show. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. Jeff, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I'm sorry. Let me try that again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so used to saying that. Oh, Jeff, thank you so much for having me on your show. And if you are listening to this show right now, do me and Jeff a favor and go and subscribe in whatever podcasting app you use. Every podcasting app allows you, allows you to subscribe. And the biggest favor you can do, if you enjoy 
Jeff's show, the biggest favors, there's two favors you can do for Jeff. And number one, go and subscribe for his show because that allows you to never miss out on an episode that Jeff publishes. And he publishes five a week, which is mind-blowing, by the way. <laughs> Incredible job, Jeff. Uh, but number two, go right now to iTunes and you can search very quickly for Jeff's show and leave him a review. This is the algorithm for iTunes. Reviews are absolutely at the top of that algorithm for how shows are exposed to new listeners. So Jeff needs your help by allowing uh, other people to find the show. Uh, you are helping Jeff out a ton. So go and leave Jeff a review for this for this <laughs> show. It's it's a great show. And he does so much work for you guys. Five hours of content a week. That's unbelievable. I can barely do one hour of content a week. So applause for Jeff's work. Incredible work. Thank you. Thanks, Jonathan. Um, yeah, and man, we didn't even get into the uh, broken technology of the podcasting infrastructure. Oh, man, it, it has um, so much work to be done, doesn't it? <laughs> anyway, okay, cool. Well, well thanks, Jonathan. Um, I'll, I'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much, Jeff. 